Good morning. Well, the first thing I have to say is I have to explain the title. Um, when I sent the title out to the staff, I got responses like, no, seriously, what is it? And I said, no, seriously, that's it. And people were a little confused. You know, maybe people thought it was a youth guy trying to be hip. Maybe it is. Um, but really, it has a purpose. The reason I put the title was because um, it speaks a lot to where we're going to be looking today in Scripture in Revelation 3. One of my favorite musicians, his name is Lecrae. You may have heard of him. He's a Christian rapper. And um, when he was 19 years old, he got saved by Jesus. And he felt God call him out of the inner city to, to live a life making music and calling believers to live an unashamed life. And so um, he now has made many albums. He tours the country. He holds these kind of mini conferences, which he calls concerts. But really, it's like sermons mixed with songs, mixed with thought-provoking videos. And it's all based on Romans 1.16, which says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone. That is his mission statement. That is his calling, to call out unashamed believers. And so he's also enrolled at Southern Seminary, pursuing his Master's of Divinity. He's a really incredible man. How he makes time for everything, I don't know. But we took a bunch of students, eight to ten students, up to Orlando about a month ago to see him. He had a tour, and that's as far south as he came, so I said, we got to go. So we got some students, and we drove up there and stayed the night and went to his show. We're there a few hours early, and I said, hey, guys, we got to get there at least an hour early. You know, we want to make sure we get good seats. You know, we can, it was standing room only, but at least we can stand close. So we get there an hour early. The line is the longest line I've ever seen for a concert ever. Thousands of people. I'm like, what is going on? This is the second show of the day, and it's a Christian concert. And there's like thousands of people in line. So we're like, wow, okay. So we get in line. We eventually get in. It's, you know, so much energy. I mean, unbelievable. And we get in there, and I remember the first thing that happened when I stood there where we were trying to get to the front, and we're looking around, and it was amazing to me. It was multi-generational, multi-racial, people just coming together to worship. It was, it blew me away. It wasn't what I expected. And I remember that night, it just was an unbelievable night for myself and the students. And when he played this song, Fanatic, it's one of his older songs, it's where this line comes from. He, I, I look around and everyone's singing this line. And I'm seeing people from all different walks of life with their eyes closed, their hand raised, singing this song. And I'm like, this is what it's all about. Whether or not you like his style of music, that is what it's all about is people from all different walks of life being called and encouraged to be fanatical, to be um, radical for Jesus. At the end of it, right after this uh, line in the song, he has another line that kind of explains what a fanatic is, because in our culture, a fanatic can be a negative thing. It can be the aggressive, hostile, judgmental person. That's not what he's saying. He says, this is what a fanatic is. I'm not extreme. I'm redeemed with faith to serve a God who's extremely great. That's what a fanatic is. It's someone that understands that God has redeemed me with faith to serve him because he's so great. And that night, I just remember walking away. I thought I was going to listen to some really fun music and have a great time, and I'm walking away with like a spiritual encounter, and I'm thinking to myself all the different ways in which I'm not a fanatic and the ways in which God needs to grow me to be more unashamed for the gospel. And it was a a remarkable night. And so tonight, or today, we're going to be looking at Revelation 3. 
And it's the call to this church in Laodicea, the believers there, to live this unashamed, fanatical life. And the reason we're looking here is because you're going to see that this church in Laodicea, there's seven letters written to seven different churches in Revelation. This is one of them. And it's the strongest condemnation from Jesus. Jesus is speaking to seven different churches. Some of them he's encouraging. Some of them he's saying, you've got to work on this. But this one is strong. And we're looking at it this morning because their culture and their city really mirrors ours. And I really think that if Jesus was writing a letter to American Christianity and to me and to many of us, it would look something like this. Because Laodicea was a city that was very affluent, um, one of the richest um, commercial cities in the known world, very diverse. They were known for three things. Banking, so they had a lot of wealth. They were known for the manufacturing of black wool, this clothing. And then also this eye salve that, that cured eye soreness, among many other things, but those were the three main. And so these, these believers in Laodicea are living in this environment, and they're actually given some sort of religious freedom because in Laodicea you had the right to preserve your own religious custom. They had far more persecution than us, but um, they, had, they had some religious freedom. So if you think about it, it's a lot like how we live. Affluent, prosperity, wealth, a lot, known for a lot of different things, a lot of power, a lot of influence. It's a lot of the same things. And what we're going to see here is that the same trap of sin that Laodicea falls in, I think, is the same trap that we so, so easily fall into. And so we're going to be looking at what Jesus says to this church. In the very beginning, in verse 14, this is what he says, the first verse. To the angel of the church of Laodicea write, the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of creation of God, says this. So immediately something should be jumping off the page to us. The character of Christ is jumping off the page. It's Jesus. It's not just John writing to the Laodicean church. It's Jesus saying, I got something to say to you. Let me tell you who I am. I'm the amen. I'm the faithful and true witness. I'm the beginning of creation. I'm a creator. And so he's letting the church know something about himself for a reason. It's not just some random attributes that he threw together. But he's telling them specifically, I'm a faithful and true witness. Because the contrast he's setting up here is the Laodicean church and their behavior is not mirroring the behavior and reflection of the character of Christ. And he's calling them to reflect him and to run after and pursue who he is. You know, the will of God for our lives, as we see in Scripture, is progressive sanctification. It's to become more and more like Jesus every day. And the problem with the Laodicean church is they've forgotten this. They've forgotten that Jesus is the faithful and true witness and that we are to run after being that as well. And so Jesus comes to them and he's coming to them to call them to renewal, call them to be injected with his resurrection power to realize what he has done for them and who he's calling them to be, and how he's calling them to live. So you may have heard this verse before. The next verse, he says this. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. So he comes to them, and he says, listen, I know your deeds. I know how you're acting. I know how you're living. Here's the problem. You're not cold or hot. I want you to be that but you're lukewarm. 
And so my reaction to your behavior and who you are, what you're acting like is I want to spit you out of my mouth. The better translation is I want to vomit you out of my mouth. It's nauseating. It's really strong language. And I think often it's been misunderstood, even by me um, recently, that, that cold and hot means this. Hot means you're a zealous, radical Christian. Cold means you're an unbeliever that doesn't want anything to do with Jesus. And lukewarm means you're somewhere in the middle. Well, probably the better translation, the most accurate translation is cold and hot means you're a radical Christian. You're pursuing the character of Jesus. You're trying to become more like him. You're trying to be a faithful and true witness. And that lukewarm means you're compromising Christ. The reason I say this is because in Laodicea, there's two cities outside of it. There's Heropolis and there's Colossae. And they're known for their two water sources. Heropolis had hot water that was cleansing. Um, it was purifying. It also was good for um, healing. And then you have the cold water of Colossae, which was useful for drinking. The problem with Laodicea was they had neither. They had lukewarm water. And not only was it not desirable, but what happened when you partook of it, it caused nausea. It caused you to want to spit it out. And so Jesus is coming to them and he's comparing them to their water source. He's saying, you're not useful and you're not desirable. You're not like Heropolis. You're not like Colossae. You're like your city's water source. You have become like your city. You're not distinct. You're causing in me a nauseating feeling because you're not living and pursuing after who I am, a faithful and true witness. There's no distinction between you and non-believers in your city. You're lukewarm. And so he's calling them and their deeds and their actions to be different, to live differently. And so the question is, what's, why is the reason for their ineffectiveness of their faith? Why are they useless to Christ? Why are they not desirable? Well, I think it's one of two reasons. It's either because many of them had non-existent faith, but I think probably the greater reason was because they had compromised their faith for worldly gain. They lived in a city that had so much to offer, so many things that were satisfying, so many things that they could accomplish, so many opportunities, and what they, they had to make the choice of saying, I'm either going to reject compromising my faith, or I'm going to compromise a little bit of my faith to gain these things of the city. And Jesus is saying, you're not distinct. You're causing this feeling in me, um, and it's a dangerous feeling. Because I'm calling you to be hot or cold. I'm calling you to be useful and desirable to me. I'm calling you to be like me, not like your city, not like your water source. There's this quote that's kind of striking to me um, by a scholar. It says this, There is no one further from the truth of Christ than the one who makes an idle profession without real faith. That when we make an idle profession of Jesus and our belief in him, and yet it doesn't reflect in the way that we live and the faith that we live out through action um, in our deeds, that there's no one further from Christ because we fool ourselves into thinking that Jesus, everything's good with us. But in reality, it's not. And Jesus tells us here, and it's so gracious that he does, what the problem is. He tells them why they're lukewarm, what it means to be lukewarm. And this is what he says in verse 17. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. 
Here's the problem. The believers in the church of Laodicea not only have compromised their faith and sold out their faith for worldly gain, they think they have need of nothing. God, we have all this wealth. We have uh, uh, this comfort. We have little persecution. We have everything we want in life, the things that we desire. We're being able to obtain. We, we have need of nothing. Everything is great. In a sense, they all kind of were wearing um, life is good t-shirts. And they all thought life was good and everything was perfect. But in actuality, in Jesus's eyes, life wasn't that good. Things were going on. There was problems here. They were living a fake reality because what happened was they were not distinct from their city. They were just like their city. Why? Because they sought after and they worshipped wealth and material possession the same way the city did. It's not that Jesus is coming and saying, it's wrong if you are prosperous. It's wrong if you have money. It's wrong if you have possessions. He's not saying that. He's saying when you become not distinct from the city and what you pursue is wealth and material possessions and comfort and no persecution and you're, no, you're not distinct from anyone else in your city, there's no difference between you and the, and the unbeliever. There's a problem. That's the issue. It's not that they've been blessed. It's that they think they don't need anything from Jesus. We have everything we want. We have money. We have wealth. We have the black wool. We have the eye salve. We're involved in the banking industry. We have all this stuff. We don't need Anything else, we're good. And Jesus is coming to them and saying, you do. You don't realize that you're in need of me in a great way because you're compromising me for the things of the world. And there's an earlier letter that that Jesus speaks to a church in Smyrna around the area, and they were known as being physically poor. Many of them were poor, um, but they were regarded in Jesus' eyes as being spiritually rich. The reason was, was because they were unwilling to compromise their faith for worldly gain. In this culture, the Roman cult and the Roman government and um, idolatrous acts, there was so much temptation to compromise what you believed in to support these things because you could gain a lot if you did. If you just comp- compromised a little bit of your faith for these things that was going on in the city and the government, then you could gain and you could gain the things of the city. And so this other church was known in Jesus' eyes as being spiritually rich because they said, no, we're not going to do that. And Laodicea has said, all right, let's do it. If we can get more now, awesome. A little bit of compromise. Because for them, church was what happened in the building, not what happened in the world. Church was here, not out there. And Jesus is saying, that's, that's not right. That's not the way it is. People in Laodicea, they were opposite of what they thought. As the title says, they didn't rep Christ. They didn't represent him in the city because that meant that they would have to sacrifice some things. And so Jesus is calling this out of them. He's saying, listen, you have a great need for me because in actuality, you're in need of me a lot when you think you have nothing. And he's coming to them. um, And I love this. Jesus doesn't just say, listen, um, you've made a lot of mistakes and uh, you've, you've compromised me, and you've forgotten about me, so I'm going to forget about you. I'm done with you, wash my hands of you. He doesn't do that. He comes to them in his letter, and he's saying, here's the deal. Here's your struggle. Here's the problem. But I'm calling you to renewal. I'm calling you back to me. And he's going to call them the three things, confession, repentance, and discernment. And he says this in the next verse. I advise you to buy from me 
gold refined by fire so that you may become rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself, and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed, and the eye salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. He's calling them to renew their faith and their commitment in Jesus so that they can become effective, so they become a useful, so that they can become true and faithful witnesses for Christ. He's saying, I'm calling you to renewal. Listen, buy from me. Everything you need is found in me. Remember what the city was known for, banking and wealth, for manufacturing a black wool and for an eye salve. What does Jesus say? He says, buy from me refined gold, buy from me clothing and you'll be clothed with white garments and buy from me eye salve so you can see. He's saying, I'm better than the city. I'm better what it has to offer. I promise you, if you seek after me and you live a fanatical and a radical life for me, you will find that I am better than all of these things you can gain in the world. You know, I think for us, if we're honest, this concept that Jesus is better than the things that the world has to offer is like, okay, it's, you know, it's kind of Christian jargon and it just kind of goes over our head because what happens is so often we hear this and then we, you know, okay, I'm going to go home and I'm going to read my Bible and I'm going to pray and I'm going to live it. And then after a few days, because we live in a microwave society, that it's not everything we expected, we're like, all right, um, back to what I was doing before that made me happy back to the little comforts of the world. I mean, for my whole life, for so much of my life growing up, up and through until I got to college, this is, I was a Christian, you know, I believed it, but I never lived it because I never actually pursued Jesus. I never actually kept running the race that we're called to run. I just would try and then it wouldn't work and it wasn't happening as fast as I wanted. I didn't see the satisfaction and the purpose and the peace and the comfort after I went in my Bible study one day. So then I put my Bible study away and then went back to the world for a month. And then I went back to my Bible for a week. And it was like this back and forth game. And Jesus is saying, listen, if you just trust me and if you pursue me radically to become a faithful and true witness, distinct and separate from the world, you will see that I am better than anything the world has to offer. But you have to pursue me. You have to, to pursue after me. And this is, this is what the, the believers in Laodicea had forgotten. They'd forgotten this truth. And there's a line from a Lecrae song, and I want to read it for you. I love it. It says this. I think it speaks to our culture and to, to the, the nature of this letter. People are living for a job. They make a little money. They start living for a car. They get a house. They get a wife, kids, and a dog. When they retire, they live in high on the hog. But guess what? They didn't really ever live at all. To live is Christ. Yeah, that's Paul, I recall. To die is gain, so for Christ we give it all. He's the treasure you find in the mall. I love that last line, that he's the treasure you find in the mall. It's this idea that everything we can try to accumulate in life, he's better than it. He's better than what you can find in the mall. He's better than what this city and this, go- this country has to offer. Though so much of it is great, he's better. And what you're going to see here is he's calling us as believers to three distinct things. Refined gold. He's calling us to confession. He's calling us to purify and to remove the sin that is in our life. The ways in which we have compromised him. He's calling us to recall it and then to confess it. To buy from him refined, purified gold. And we will see, we will see ourselves as rich. Secondly, he's calling us to repentance. 
He says, listen, when you buy from me gold, then you're going to buy from me white clothing and you're going to be covered in it. That you're going to be made righteous because of me. That you're called to walk blameless now. No stains, no spots. He's calling us to repentance. To after we confess, to repent, to turn from, and to live in a pursuit of Christ. And then lastly, he says, you know, you need to, to get my eye salve. You need to get my sight. The ability to distinguish right from wrong, truth from lies, discernment. After you have confessed and after you have repented, and that you have seen purification happen, that you have seen me place the white garments of forgiveness on you, and you're called to pursue this life of righteousness, now it's your time to be discerning. Just have my vision, distinguishing truth from lies, what is right from what is wrong. And then verse 19, he, he tells us as believers um, why he, he gives us this strong letter, why he comes to us and says, I want you to be hot and cold. I want you to be on fire for me, a fanatic for me, living for me, loving me and loving others. But you're living for yourself, and that's causing this nauseating feeling in me. Here's the reason. You thought that you had everything. You thought you didn't need me. The truth is you do. And this is what you need to do. You need to confess and repent and then walk forward with discernment. And he tells us why he gives us this letter. He says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. He says, listen, the reason I come to you and I say this in strong language and I just give it to you is because I love you. Because you're a child of mine and I want you to understand what matters. I want you to understand the way you are to live, that I am a faithful and true witness that has witnessed to you and rescued you, and now you are to pursue me and to be the same. And you haven't. So I discipline and reprove those whom I love, and then I call them to be zealous and to repent. They need a heart to heart. Jesus says, I'm coming to give you guys some tums so that you don't cause me to be sick anymore. Because their actions and their behavior was causing uh, this feeling in Christ that was not good. And so he's calling them to be zealous and to repent. And then at verse 20, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and, he, and will dine with him and he with me. He says, Listen. I'm calling you to confession, repentance, and discernment. I'm calling you to realize you have a great need for me, and you're called to live for me, and to live after me, fanatically. And I'm knocking at the door, and if you open it, I'm going to dine with you. Well, this verse right here is often misunderstood. This verse is, is understood by many, probably majority, as a verse which says that we choose Jesus. Jesus is knocking at the door of everyone's heart, and if you just open the door, then you can be a Christian and you can be in a relationship with God. I don't think that's what it's saying here. The reason I say that is because who is Jesus talking to? He's talking to the church. Now, yes, there may have been people in the church that were not believers and just said it, but it wasn't really true. But the majority of the people that he is speaking to in this letter are believers that have compromised their faith, that have have forsaken Jesus and the pursuit of him for worldly gain. He's coming to them and he's calling them to renewal. He's coming to them and saying, I want you to realize what truth is, to realize that you need to confess and repent and now walk in discernment. 
turn from the way you've been living. And he's saying, I'm knocking at your heart. This message, this, this scripture, the words I'm saying to you is a knock. Are you going to respond is the idea. Are you going to respond with confession, repentance, and discernment? Are you going to respond with now living radically and zealous? And then he gives us the promise, three promises. And it's so unbelievable how gracious God is in this way. He knows that when we live a radical life for Christ, what's going to happen is we're going to face persecution. We're going to face hardship. It's not easy. There's a lot of times that it's, it's not easy to not compromise. It's so easy for us to be comforted by lies, but truth is what transforms. It's hard. It's hard to be distinct and different. And when we do, hardship comes. But he gives us this promise, a threefold promise. And the first one, he says, listen, I'm going I'm to dine with you. This society was not like McDonald's where you drive to McDonald's and you get a Big Mac and you eat it in two minutes and you drive off to the next thing you got to do and you have a stomach ache and you're going to the soccer game. I mean, it's not like dinner or lunch is like five minutes long. It's a long process. And he's saying here that I will be in lasting fellowship with you. I will be in lasting relationship with you if you listen to me. And then he gives us the next two and he says, he who overcomes... I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. That not only will you now have a relationship and fellowship with me, but for those who overcome, for those who listen, confess, repent, and walk in discernment and now live radically for Jesus, you have the greatest hope in the world. That you are going to have the inheritance of the kingdom of God and be exalted next to Christ. You are going to overcome. You are going to rise. And so often we think, I think we let this wash over our head. We hear this all the time. I mean, you have to kind of step back and hear what he's saying. The creator of the universe is saying that you, if you listen and if you respond to the knocking of his words that you will have relationship with him and that you will be exalted and have the inheritance of God, the creator of the world. That is unbelievable. Because who are we to deserve that? And yet he promises that to us. He says, don't worry, if you're brought low in this life, you're going to be exalted. I mean, it's an amazing promise. An amazing promise. But it's only for those who overcome. It's for those who listen to the words of Jesus, who respond with action, who have say, Jesus has come, he's given me an invitation of renewal, and he's calling me to confess and to repent and to walk in discernment, and I know that he wants me to be like him, which is a faithful and true witness. And I am compromising a lot of my faith in different areas for the things of the world, and I need to switch over. I need to be an overcome. I need to overcome the world not become like it. I need to be distinct. He gives us that promise. He gives us that call. And I love the way he ends it. In verse 22, he says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. If you have the ear to hear what Christ is saying and his words to us, his words to people like us in this culture with the same trap of sin, the same struggle, 
He wants us to respond. He wants us to respond in confession and repentance and discernment. He wants us to be fanatical, to represent Christ until we die in this city being distinct. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. It is so gracious to us in your gospel, which has come to save. Lord, we're so unworthy of your grace and your mercy, and yet you're so loving to give it. We pray this morning that you would be knocking on our heart the ways in which we need to confess to you, that we need to repent and turn from our sin, that we need to now walk in discernment. Lord, we live in a culture that promises much and and gives little. So we pray that we would understand that you are better, that what you provide is better, that we have a great need for you, and that church isn't what happens in a building, but it's what happens when we leave. The ways in which we are distinct, the ways in which we profess you and we prove to be a faithful and true witness of your gospel. And we thank you for the promise that when we do and when we live this way, you provide fellowship and inheritance and exaltation. So we pray this morning, God, that your spirit would work in our heart and would work in our lives, that we would be moved and changed by your words. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.